reality is, this lie affects all of us. Because we are all sexual beings. So as I look around this room, I see some parents. I see Matt holding his newborn. And did you guys send out announcements about the baby? No announcements, right? Did you guys even know if it was going to be a boy or a girl before you guys? Okay. So they chose to wait until the pregnancy is finished to find out if it was going to be a boy or a girl. So most couples, if they don't do that, they find out and they send out an announcement of sorts, right? And you get it in the mail. And if it's blue, what are you thinking? It's a boy. If it's pink, what are you thinking? It's a girl, right? And so in their case, they chose to wait. So as the baby's coming out, right, you see the head, right? It's coming out all, there's the rest of the body, there's the umbilical cord. And if there's another smaller umbilical cord looking thing, (laughs) it's a boy, right? And if that's not there, it's a girl. So... From our infancy, we are given a sexual identity. And so this lie affects us all because we are all sexual beings. And what we're going to look at today is the fact that our sexual choices affect others. But this lie is also premised by two things. And the first thing is this. It is highly individualistic, right? So sexual choice is really a matter of preference. So whether or not a sexual choice is right is beside the point. The point simply is that it's my sexual choice. And so my preference... Moral relativism supersedes absolutes. It's not a matter of right or wrong. It's just the fact that it's my choice. And I hope you see that this also trivializes sexuality to the point that it is merely a matter of preference. So in the same ways you have your favorite color and your favorite soft drinks, you can also have your preferences sexually. You like Sprite? Oh, cool. You like Coke? Cool. You like Pepsi? Cool. You like the opposite sex? Cool. You like the same sex? Cool. You like both sexes? Cool. You just like sex in general. With your spouse? With their spouse? By yourself? Dating, boyfriend, girlfriend, doesn't matter. It's a matter of preference. It's not hurting anyone. And here's what I got to say to this. I drive a 1992 Volvo 940GL. It is a beauty. Look at that thing. Wow. Now... You can't see it, but there's like, there's like this little door hatch looking thing right near the side of the rear of the driver's side. Do you know what that is? Right. 
So there's like, there's like this little door that opens up, and it's a gas tank accessed in there. And every time I go to the gas station, I'm usually always putting gas because whoever designed this car, they had in mind a particular function for that car. And that car needs something in particular for it to run, which is gas. Now, should I choose to put water where that hole is? That is wrong, right? It is not a matter of preference. It is a matter of right and wrong because the gas tank was not designed to take in water. So regardless of my fetish for water or for honey or for lemonade or for any other type of liquid, whatever my preference may be is beside the point. The point is, if I put anything other than water in there, it is wrong. <laughs> I'm glad you're paying attention. If I put anything other than gas in there, it is wrong. And we laugh at that. It is so obvious in this illustration. And yet, when it comes to our body, we can so often dismiss the fact that it is divinely designed. And our Creator has a specific function and purpose for our sexuality. That our sexuality is something that He designed. And regardless of our preferences, there is a right and a wrong way to engage in sexual activity. And so the premises behind the lie that my sexual choices aren't hurting anyone contradicts the fact that there is a God who has divinely designed us and given us a gift of sexuality. And so this is why we are primarily going to be looking at his word in order to know who we are in light of who he is. As he has designed us, we can know about ourselves, not by our preferences, but by his word and by his fact. And what we'll see is that our sexual choices does affect others. Namely, your sexual choice affects God. Your sexual choice affects yourself. And your sexual choices affects us. It affects others. So if you have your Bible, please turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. We'll be looking at chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, if you could please raise your hands, and we'll be sure to put one in your hands. Is there anyone that needs a Bible? All right, we've got a few here. Four, five. All right. Tad, would you mind grabbing a few Bibles? Thank you. Keep your hands raised, please. 
First Thessalonians chapter four, beginning in verse three. It says this. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And Lord, that is my prayer, that we would not disregard you that we would realize that this is your word and that you are good. And Lord, you have our very best in mind in regards to our sanctification. So Lord, I pray that we would receive this not as words of man, but as your very word. Speak to us, Lord. Amen. So, first of all, your sexual choices affect God. I have to say that this is not a sermon about them. I'm sure every one of us in this room could think of someone else who is sexually immoral or someone else whose sexual choices are worse than ours. I pray that we would look at the word of God and allow for our hearts to receive his word and be transformed. And that we will consider our sexual choices in light of his word. So our sexual choice affects God. From the very beginning in verse 3, it says that this is the will of God, your your sanctification, that you abstain from. From sexual immorality. So abstaining from sexual immorality is a matter of God's will. And honestly, as much damage as we can do to ourselves, as much damage as we can do to other people whom we sin against, God is always the most offended by our sins. So if you consider King David, for example, when he chose to be sexually immoral and he slept with Bathsheba, during the aftermath of what happened, we find his reflection in Psalm 51. And one of the things that David says is, against you and you only, Lord, have I sinned. It's not that he didn't sin against his own body. It's not that he didn't sin against Bathsheba. But ultimately, he sinned against God. 
And so our sexual choices primarily affects God. Because with every sexual choice, we can either honor Him or we can sin against Him. It is a matter of His will. And anything outside of His will is a matter of sin. So, our sexual choices affect God. I'm also afraid that some of us, as we're hearing this, and we may even be in agreement of the fact that our sexual choices affect God, you hear sexual immorality and you immediately check out because it does not apply to you. So, you're not involved in homosexuality or lesbianism. You're not involved in adultery. You're not involved in pornography. And so, all of these grotesque things in your mind is what constitutes sexual immorality. And being that you don't find yourself in these categories, you dismiss yourself. Let me just kindly ask you, A few questions. What kind of songs do you listen to on a regular basis? And what kind of sexual morality do they promote? What was the nature of the last text message exchange you had? Or the last Snapchat session you had? What were you doing this past Friday? How do you handle your sexual frustrations? Do you take matters into your own hands? How many friends do you have with benefits? How discreetly are you trying to express your attractions Towards your coworker, your secretary, your boss. How often do you need to clear your browsing history? What's the reasoning behind your wardrobe choices? Are you more concerned about what you're trying to cover or what you're trying to show? How many shades of gray are there? Why are you so adamant about getting a hug from that particular person? How creative are the keywords you use to make searches on things such as Google Images or YouTube or Instagram? What do you fantasize about? For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality.
And the fact that our sexual choices affect God is not only seen here in verse 3, in that it is his will, but it's also seen throughout the rest of the passage. So if you look with me in verse 6, it says this, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all of these things. The Lord is an avenger in all of these things, referring back to sexual immorality. Verse 7, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Verse 8, therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God. So we must remember that our sexual choices affect God primarily every single one of them now God is not the only one affected our sexual choices also affect ourselves your sexual choices affect yourself Verse 4, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Verse 5, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. It's very interesting that the Gentiles are mentioned. As Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica, he's fully aware that some of these people are recent converts from a pagan religion where sex was even a part of their religiosity. And as they have now become Christians, he is telling them, listen, don't take your sexual cues from the people around you, from the people in the world. They don't know God. Here's God's will for your life. And in light of that, don't allow for yourself to be controlled by the passions of lust like these people, like the Gentiles. Instead, exercise self-control. It's no different for us today as we look at the sexuality that is being promoted by the people around us as if it does not affect ourselves. It's your choice. Do whatever you want. But the reality is they don't know God. So they don't even know what's best for themselves. And they don't realize how detrimental it is to follow the passions of your own lust. How tragic it is for the car owner who chooses to put 10W30 viscosity oil in their gas tank because it feels right. The oil tank's got a cap. The gas tank's got a cap too. It must be right because it feels right. 
So for the sake of equality, someone please pass me a funnel and some oil as I fill up my gas tank the way I want to. That is damaging. And yet, that is the passion of their own lust. They're doing whatever they want. And how tragic it is for the owner of a Carrera GT to be cutting corners at 100 plus miles an hour in city traffic because it feels right. No control. And so I pray that we would realize how important it is to exercise self-control. Because if we choose to follow the passions of our own lust, it is inevitably destructive to ourselves. This is not the words of man, but the very word of God, who gives us truth. Sanctify them by your truth. Lord, your word is truth. God's word is truth. And we can know what's true. And we don't have to be driven by our passions. We can be driven by what's true. So please, exercise self-control. And what the world wants to promote, it's as if we're missing out on something when we do this, right? And so the idea that God wants us to abstain from sexual immorality is this idea that God is the killjoy, that he is holding back something from us. So do whatever feels right. Don't miss out on the party. That's how they promote it. But think about it. God gave us our sexuality in the first place. He wants us to enjoy it. So for him to tell us to abstain from sexual immorality is not him robbing us or anything or keeping back something. It's the exact opposite. God wants us to have something far greater than anything the world could offer us through sexual choices that are outside of his will. And God's will for us is to enjoy sexual intimacy in the context of a covenant relationship with someone who is committed to us for the rest of our lives in heterosexual marriage. And anything else we need to abstain from He's not being a killjoy at all. He gave us sexuality. When he created Adam, it was his initiative to say that it was not good for man to be alone. And to make a woman for the man. He gave us our sexuality. We are not missing out anything.
In fact, we are effectively robbing ourselves of the pleasure, the ecstasy, and the intimacy that God had designed for us. When we conduct ourselves outside of his will. So, your sexual choices does affect yourself. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body. But the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. So let us know how to control ourselves and not be driven by the passions of lust like those who do not know God. So they obviously can't know what's good and what's best for them. And lastly... Our sexual choices affects each other. It affects others. Not just God, not just ourselves, but others. And in this context, as Paul is writing the church at Thessalonica, he's telling them not to transgress against or wrong The brothers. So, as this church is meeting in houses, men and females together, given some of their sexual past and definitely given what's going on around them, Paul is reminding these Christians that, listen, should you choose to sleep with someone who is not your spouse, you're not just cheating and sinning against God, you're not just sinning against yourself, and you're not just sinning against that person, but you are also sinning against that person's spouse. And so adultery is not just two people who is affected by it. You are affecting your spouse as well as their spouse. And in light of that, Paul says, listen, do not transgress or wrong the brother. Because here's the thing. The Lord is an avenger of all these things. So consider yourselves forewarned. But this can also apply Not just to extramarital sex, but also to premarital sex. Because you're still effectively engaging in sexual activities with someone that is not yours. So whether one person or both person in that sexual activity are not married, it is still affecting and defrauding and transgressing against their future spouse. It is still stealing something that is not yours. So let us not transgress and wrong our brothers in light of that.
And even if we are not cheating against our spouse, we're not committing adultery, our sexual choices does affect others. So, should I choose to watch porn, it will affect the way I view you and I look at you. So that we don't even have to have an interaction. You can be a girl walking down Mill Avenue and because of the sexual immorality choices that I've made to watch porn and to train my mind over and over towards the fact that women are mere objects of sexual gratification, it now affects the way that I view you. That I would identify a woman by merely physical traits and attributes as opposed to someone created in God's image with a soul. It affects the way I view you. And should you be reading that novel about that lady who is cheating on her husband or maybe watching it on TV? And you're choosing to entertain yourself, to dwell on such sexual immoralities. It will affect the way you view the men in your life. And so our sexual choices do affect others. Because again, we are all sexual beings. The lie is that my sexual choices aren't hurting anyone. As if I can casually and carelessly be engaged in sexual activities with no strings attached. Listen, there is always, always, always a string attached. You cannot have a sexual experience detached from another person. There's always strings attached. Sex is far more than just a physical act. It is a transcending experience that makes a special bond between two people that you have absolutely no control of. Strings are always attached. I would like to conclude by praising God for our sexuality. That he intended for us to enjoy this potent act so powerful 
that it is the means by which the miracle of life can take place and can drive a man and a woman towards intimacy that cannot be duplicated by any other relationship that they have. So I pray, first of all, that we would see the goodness of God in his desires and purpose for sex and that we would praise him for it. Secondly, for those of you who are married, I pray that you would see the gift that it is and that you would be a good steward of that. In other words, please have sex. Enjoy the wife of your youth. Eat her choicest fruits. Please make sex a normative part of your marriage. And I understand that some of you have kids, and so that's a little bit more complicated. But here's the thing. I would rather your kids be grossed out by what they hear coming out of mommy and daddy's bedroom than be enticed by the lies that they're hearing from their friends, from these headphones, from those screens. Allow them to know by the normative acts that happen in the home that sex is worth waiting for. What's the point of waiting for marriage when mommy and daddy aren't even doing it? So do I just wait to have no sex when I'm married? Let it be normative. And again, use discretion, but let it be normative. And that's partly why you need to establish a curfew for your kids. (laughs) So that y'all can get down. (laughs) All right, kids. Bedtime. Let's go. Let's go. Everybody, go to bed. Right? Uh, Mom, it's it's 6.30. (laughs) Well, it's 9.30 on the East Coast, right? Look, Daddy's home. He's just got to go to bed. Please, please. You can wait till 9 or 10. And if you can't, get creative. But let it be normative. And I understand, I fully understand that there can be some complications towards that being a reality in your home. And so I pray that in view of the sexual intimacy that God wants you to have, you would want to cultivate and promote that. And this may require some tough conversations. Like, you know, honey, I really think our sex life would improve if you just brush your teeth and take a shower. 
That would really help. Or the discussions can be much tougher. You know, I've, I've never told anyone this before, but I was raped at age six. And since then, it has forever affected my capacity to enjoy sex. And so I am sorry, but I can't help but to see sex as an act of violence. And I can't help but to feel the shame of what has been done to me in the past. Let's walk through this together. Let's learn how to surrender to our God. And don't give up on each other. Work through those tough times together to the point where healing can take place and that sexual intimacy is in light of God's design for you and not defined by your past. And we as a church, we want to help. We want to walk alongside of you. Please let us know how we can pray for you. How we can meet with you and talk through some of these issues. So that whatever is hindering sexual intimacy in your home, we can walk towards God's will for you. And as you do that, as you fortify your marriage, and as you're intentional about not only abstaining from sexual immorality, but also growing in intimacy with your spouse as God has designed it, part of what you're also doing is you are fortifying each other against the sexual temptations that will be coming your way. You see, we singles, we don't even get that option of fortification. But you do. So make use of it. Part of your ability to abstain from sexual immorality will be in how you love, you honor, and you enjoy your spouse. So please be intentional about that. And for those of us who are single, as I am, you know, sometimes it could feel like, it could feel like that kid who gets in the theme park and then he gets to the ride only to find out that you've got to be this tall. You know what I'm talking about? Right? It's like, I want to ride, I want to ride, I want to ride. Right? you got to be this tall. Oh, oh i got to wait. Oh. Right? So, should that three-year-old hop on that ride, Let's say it's the Incredible Hulk. There's this ride. It just kind of takes off right from the beginning, and it just goes up and down. And That three-year-old is not tall enough, 
And part of the reason why the height requirement is there is that there's this apparatus that straps you into your seat so that when you go for that thrilling ride, it makes sure that you are secure to enjoy that experience. And until you're ready for that ride, stay away. Because if that three-year-old hops on, the thing barely covers his head, and that thing takes off, There's a reason why God has designed for sexual intimacy to be enjoyed within the context of a heterosexual marriage. And as much as I want to get on that ride, I know it's best. I know it's best because it's God's will to wait until I'm able to. Trust me, it's not easy. But I serve a God who will see to the completion of the sanctification that he has started in my life. I serve a God who knows what's best for me. And whether or not I've got to wait another five years, 20 years, forever, at least in my mind, Not my will, but your will be done, Lord. It is ultimately about our sanctification. Because the truth is, there's an 18-year-old Mormon girl right now who has never had sex and who wears an undergarment around her body to promote sexual purity and can go through the rest of her life and wait for her husband to have sex. There's a woman right now locked in a nunnery, have never been touched by a man before. If neither of those people don't come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, then they miss this. They miss the fact that God wants something far more than just for you to enjoy orgasm. He wants you to be righteous. He has called you to holiness. And that is only through Him. So conversely, for those of us who have sinned sexually, for those of us who have been sinned against sexually, Let us remember that God's will for our lives is our sanctification. Let us remember that regardless of the stain that sin left, He 
washed us white as snow. We can't change the damage that's been done in the past. But we can certainly choose to live within God's will and trust in Him as a redeemer of our souls, of ourselves, and of our sexuality as well. It's not easy, but He is faithful. Let us all be encouraged by the fact that God is so good that He gave us His Son so that we can all live in righteousness and that He is sanctifying us for it is His will. And in the process, we can choose to abstain from sexual immorality. We can choose to have control of our own bodies and not be controlled by the passions of lust. And we can choose to serve and honor one another as opposed to defrauding and stealing from each other. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you. Thank you for every, every good and perfect gift that you have given us. For we know that it comes from you. Help us to know how to do this more and more each day and to grow in you, Lord. I pray that you would bring to mind the relationships that are destructive to our sexual lives. I pray that we would be intentional about setting proper boundaries. And ultimately, Lord, I pray that you would be honored and glorified by the sexual choices that we make. We thank you for the ways you empower us by your Holy Spirit. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.